0: For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right.
2: One of the things we want to
1: do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Ryan Bonici, Chief Marketing Officer at G2 Crowd. Today on the show, though, Ryan and I talk about his career path from flight attendant to working at some of the biggest technology companies we know, Microsoft, Exact, Target, Salesforce, HubSpot, and now G2 Crowd. We talk a lot about content and inbound marketing today. I think Ryan has some really insightful things to think about as we think about the funnel and how to drive be leads through our funnel, but also out of the funnel activity and content that we need to create to cast wider nets and to grab more traffic into our engine. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ryan. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Alan. Let's get started with your background and where you started your career and the path to become CMO at G2 Crowd.
2: Sure thing. So um, gosh, where do I begin? Let's start at the, <laughs> at the beginning, really. So I have a bit of an interesting kind of like career background. So when I was actually at university, I um, was a little bit burnt out. And so I took a couple of years off and I worked as an international flight attendant, which is very random. I was based in Sydney, Australia, which is where I'm from. As Anyone listening can probably tell from my accent. And I did that for a couple of years purely just so that I could save up some money and travel. But I was also really interested in meeting with executives that were traveling in business and first class. I was always obsessed with business growing up. And actually, funnily enough, used to say to my dad, like, like can you send me emails, dad? Because I want to like have emails and get emails on my phone like you do. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember him saying to me, which I totally understand now, but he said to me, like, Brian, you'll hate it when you start getting emails on your phone. Believe me, like it's not a good thing. And I was like, no, no, I love it. But anyway, so yeah, I was working for Qantas Airways as an international flight attendant. And one day I was chatting to one of the first class passengers, I think it was, and it was an executive at Microsoft. And they, you know, I was naturally curious in what they were doing at Microsoft and wanted to learn more about their role. And one thing led to another, and then I found out through them that Microsoft was bringing on a bunch of in, Sorry, not interns, a bunch of like graduates into their Mac program, which is kind of that program for them. And so I then applied separately and went through like that, like all of these interviews and was culled from like a thousand down to, I think there was eight maybe of us in the end. So that was kind of my first, I guess, foray into tech and, and into marketing as like an official kind of role for a big company. I had other like internships and other roles when I was younger. And I was really focused on B2C marketing, so helping Microsoft connect with students in education and helping them drive sales of Office. And while I was at Microsoft, I was using a tool called Exact Target to do some of the email marketing that I was doing. And so when Exact Target launched in Australia, I mean in Asia Pacific, they reached out to me and I then moved across and started their marketing team in Asia. So I. Um, Grew that from, gosh, I don't know, myself as the first employee to maybe 15 to 20 or so marketers and, and BDRs. And Exact Target is an email marketing platform for anyone listening that um, doesn't know that was then acquired by Salesforce about two, three years after I joined. So then I moved over to Salesforce and head, was head of marketing for Salesforce in Asia Pacific for their marketing cloud products. So spent a lot of time in Sydney and Singapore and Japan and in India working with our teams there and building those teams, which was so much fun. And then, yeah, went from Salesforce to HubSpot and spent three or so years at HubSpot, which was just to date. I mean, outside of my current role, which I freaking just love so much, HubSpot was just one of the most incredible experiences of my career. And I feel truly so thankful and grateful for for being able to work with such amazing people and For being able to kind of be a part of, you know, building such an amazing marketing platform, which I love and and today use myself as a customer now. So that's kind of the, I guess, like the very sort of quick background of those like roles in terms of like high level. But, you know, there's obviously some lots of like moves and changes within each company too.
1: I need to start talking to more people on airplanes, apparently.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a weirdo like that, actually. I actually did an interview with The Telegraph in the UK, which one of their big newspapers on how to kind of like meet people and build networks like while flying because um, it's something that I just have always done. Yeah, it's hard to explain, but mm-hmm. I, I, like, I like chatting and learning from people around me. So.
1: That's great. That's great. Well, I want to learn a little bit more about the HubSpot time. I don't know if you remember, I don't know how many years ago it was, but there was an expose written by this guy, Dan Lyons, former journalist that decided for some reason to go work for HubSpot as kind of a 50 year old white guy and then wrote a book called Disrupted. And basically, I think it was before your time at HubSpot, but I'm not 100% sure.
2: Yeah, it was before my time. I don't really know much about him other than what I had read, like nor did we ever work together. So um, I mean, I think what I will say is that we had very different experiences because working at HubSpot was just, as I mentioned before, one of the best experiences of my career. And I, I think so highly of the team there and the product and really good friends with with a lot of the crew still there. Uh, I was actually just on a call with another HubSpot alumni who's a CMO at another company and we were just talking. And I mean, HubSpot does a really good job at hiring and like really focuses on finding people that, that are a bit different from the other marketers out there. And so, yeah, it's a really remarkable group of people. I can't think more highly of them.
1: Okay. Well, at G2 Crowd, now I've used G2 Crowd to compare software products, but how do you officially describe what it is that you guys do?
2: Yeah. So you and many other millions (laughs) have used G2 Crowd every month. So um, for folks that don't know G2 Crowd, we started around, gosh, six or so years ago. And we were characterized early on as the Yelp for business. So you know, millions of people were coming to our site to work out what software they should buy for their business to help it grow faster. So that might be CRM software or email marketing software or accounting software. And over the last few years and going through our Series A to Series B to Series C rounds, We've invested and in kind of evolved, I guess, the business a whole lot more. So today we think of ourselves as the world's largest business commerce marketplace, where millions of businesses around the world every month are discovering, buying, and optimizing the software that helps them do their jobs and, and reach their business potential.
1: Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, you've worked for you know, Microsoft, Exact Target, Salesforce, HubSpot, and now G2 Crowd. A lot of those companies, I mean, all of those companies, I believe are known for their inbound marketing and demand generation capabilities, whether it's built into the products that they make or whether it's just their sales engine in general. How do you think about what that means to drive inbound marketing and demand generation?
2: Yeah, look, you're right. I mean, I feel like I've been really lucky to choose some of those companies and to have them choose me. Like, It's been a lot of good luck, to be honest. (laughs) But you're right. I mean, they all are just well. Like, I mean, Salesforce is like the king of sales. HubSpot is the queen of marketing. I mean, like, they're amazing companies. I was able to learn a lot. And I guess, look, the way I think of inbound marketing is, is it's more than just marketing. Inbound is more of a philosophy of attraction as opposed to interruption. Mm-hmm. And so. Every business has elements of inbound and elements of outbound. But to me, inbound is thinking smart and you know connecting with people and attracting them to you. Whether you're a marketer or a sales rep or a customer service rep, and attracting them to you with things of value, other than trying to extract value from them before giving value, if that makes sense. And so, you know, if we get into more specific, like inbound marketing per se, a big part of that obviously is creating content, but you know, a lot of people can still create content and fail at inbound marketing because they may not have a, a deeper understanding of how SEO works or how to validate the demand of the content topics that they're thinking of creating content around. And that's probably the biggest area that I work with my team on is teaching them and helping them build, I guess, a model for how to understand whether or not you should or shouldn't create content around a certain topic. And big part of that comes down to looking at the keyword volume searches per month to then understand like is there an audience looking for this or not? Because, you know, if you do inbound right, audience comes to you. And that's pretty hard to say for most other marketing channels, right? Like email marketing, people don't come that doesn't attract really people to you. It's it's a way to re engage people that have already come to you, but it doesn't in itself attract people to you. If anything it it, it dwindles. And over time, if you don't grow your database, the more emails you send, your database will get smaller and smaller because of unsubscribes. Organic's kind of the opposite. And so you can do paid and you can do so many other things in marketing. But if you can work out that sweet spot to drive people to you and then try and convert them into leads or contacts or chats, that is truly like inbound marketing in my mind.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Well, I know when we were last talking, you gave me this almost fantastical example of how you made $64 million. I think this was while you were at HubSpot, how you made $64 million from a $6,000 investment. So you have to tell that story.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to put a link maybe to that blog post for all the details in the show notes, maybe for after, for anyone that wants to find it, but I can give you the high level of it. So basically... It was a few years ago. And I think it would have been in my second year at HubSpot. And as a side note, I always find that it typically takes me a year to get up and running in a new job and a new company before I can like start to do really innovative and disruptive things. I don't know why, but just whenever I join companies, I feel like it takes me a while to get my like feet wet and to understand how things work. And about a year in is when I feel like I start to connect the dots. And that's when I can do more interesting things. And so anywho, like it was a a year in and I felt like I'd started to understand HubSpot and how to get things done. And and now I was starting to really understand inbound. And so one of the things I was looking at was, you know, I did this big analysis, which I wrote about in Entrepreneur Magazine. And it was basically around, you know, people, marketers should be measuring content, topics, not channels. Because, you know, as marketers, we have a tendency to measure like our email marketing channel, our blog channel, our social channel. And my hypothesis, which I kind of like proved out was that it's actually less about the channel. It's actually the content that you're publishing on the channel. So a really bad blog post on around a topic that no one cares about. doesn't matter whether you, you know, use images and quotes to make it really shareable on social. If it's not a good topic that people don't care about, it doesn't matter how good you do the social media around it it won't work mm-hmm. and so i did kind of this like massive analysis which i wrote about an entrepreneur and it basically showed me that there were certain topics that we were creating content for whereby we had created a ceiling so you know if you take maybe marketing automation as a topic or inbound marketing as a topic if you search either of them hubspot will most likely be the number one two and three you know organic result that comes through so when i say a ceiling i kind of mean that like You know, there's really no more benefit for creating net new content around those topics because you're already winning all the traffic. Now that said, you know, you should obviously keep your content up to date and you might need to do things. Otherwise, rankings will drop. But there was a lot of those kind of topic areas that, you know, HubSpot after just creating so much content was starting to max out. And so part of that analysis was like looking into like, what are some areas where we haven't maxed out or where there's a big opportunity for us? And so what I kind of did and what I try and encourage my team at G2 to do is instead of thinking and creating content that you think the person is looking for in relation to your product. So, you know, if I'm, if I work at HubSpot, you know, I'm trying to attract marketers to My website to my content, and what do marketers care about in relation to HubSpot? They care about email marketing and they care about software and marketing automation. Mm. But the thing is that that, that's too basic, and that's what every other market uh, trying to do inbound marketing does. And so, what I try and like talk to them about is thinking about what are they searching when they're not looking for us, right? Because, you know, they do searches on their phone, they do searches on the bus, they do searches like at all different points in the day that don't relate to maybe what you're trying to sell them. But you can still pull that audience into your site and help them out before they need you. And so long story short, one of those topics that I thought about was like, hey, when people are starting a business, what is it that they do? You know, they create a domain name. They probably buy that on GoDaddy. They probably buy Google Apps to set up their emails. And then they search for email signature, email signature template because they need to set that up in their email otherwise they're sending business emails without any branding. And so I kind of had that hunch and then did some, you know, keyword research and found that there was somewhere between 50 to 100,000 monthly global searches for those related terms like email signature, email signature generator, email signature templates. And so I worked with my team in an agency in Sydney and we created, you know, a $6,000 email signature generator that, you know, if right now you search it and you're listening email signature or email signature generator We'll probably get HubSpot's one as the first option. And then, you know, that is driving something like I can't remember back in the day, it was driving something like 50,000, 70,000 visits a month, wow. purely organic, because it was ranking in the first position and there was not a whole lot of good free tools in that space. And so those visitors were converting to leads at something crazy, like an 85%, I think, conversion rate. <laughs> And what's crazy about that is like the tool itself is the lead form, right? Everything that goes into your email signature is the lead. (laughs) So you don't have to like ask them anything else. Like them using the tool is them filling out the form. And so You know, over the course of a couple of years, we basically did some analysis to work out like of all the contacts coming through. And yeah, that's kind of where that research came. And there's all of those fun graphs in that blog post. If anyone wants to click through and read them and see the growth.
1: That's amazing. It was a pretty fun
2: campaign. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty proud about it. And when I left HubSpot, while it was totally bittersweet, because I just love my boss there, who was the CMO, Kip um, Bodnar, and love the team. But I also kind of felt like, hey, you know what? I wish I was here a bit longer, three years, just felt a bit short for me. But at the same time, like I've driven like significant impact for the business. I felt like they took a risk on me and I felt like I'd kind of like earned and driven back impact for them as a result.
1: That's awesome. And what a stroke of genius that to your point, like filling out the signature creator is the lead form. Like, you can't get any more direct than that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well, it's a Very efficient
2: conversion. For yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Well, so, you know, content marketing, despite your highly successful example there, sometimes is h- a hard sell and getting an organization to buy in that we're going to generate content. And to your point, content that is kind of maybe like one, two or three degrees from our core offering. I guess first question was, were you immediately accepted about doing this project at HubSpot? And I'd love to know that. But then what advice do you have for other people trying to sell their ideas in that may be you know, a little removed from the core product?
2: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess first of all, I'll say is that HubSpot started doing inbound marketing, and literally the founders wrote a book called Inbound Marketing on this well before I was there. So, they were onto something beautiful very long before I joined. So, everyone at HubSpot naturally understood inbound marketing conceptually, and they were trained in it. So, that made it easy, I think, in general. That said though, that particular project to the email signature generator, funnily enough, my boss, so Kip, who I still love, but I always like kind of poke it fun at him with this, is he told me I shouldn't do that because it wasn't close enough related to our business or our brand in the sense of you know what we sold. <laughs> and fortunately, I'm a little bit naughty and a little bit defiant. <laughs> and and I said, I think I said it to his face. I was like, thanks for your feedback. I respect that, but I have my own budget, and so I'm going to use it to try it out on the side. I may or may not have actually said that to him. I may have just done it. <laughs> So yeah, so like, I mean, and I think once we started to see the results come in, and you know, if you look at the graphs in that mm. blog post, you can see that it happened pretty quickly. It only took a few months before the organic traffic really started lifting from 10,000 to 30,000 to 50,000 plus every month. And so super quickly, you know, it kind of proved itself and helped us then build lots of other tools and related generators but um to the other part of your question around like for someone else creating content and their struggles so what you described as kind of content two or three degrees away from maybe their business or brand i actually call that outside the funnel content you have tofu mofu and bofu top of funnel middle of funnel bottom of funnel And then I actually like think there's an extra layer above them all called UFU, so outside of the funnel content. And I think look outside the funnel content definitely works because it's much less competitive and has a much lower keyword difficulty score and there's typically higher volume. But yes, you are correct. You need to have a CEO or a boss that understands it. And I think that ultimately comes down to you as a marketer doing a good job at selling the details. And selling why. So that was something that I had to do when I joined a G2 crowd, right? So if you think about our website, you know, if I think of kind of awareness content, if someone's coming at the top of the funnel and they're coming into our website, they typically will come in at the top on a software term. So let's use CRM software as an example. So they'll come in at the top of the funnel on CRM software. The middle of the funnel might be like HubSpot versus Salesforce, Salesforce versus Oracle. And then the bottom of the funnel might be like Oracle pricing, HubSpot pricing, Salesforce pricing. That's when they're trying to make that decision at the bottom. Mm. And naturally the volume of search typically kind of correlates to those different layers. Like the further down the funnel you go, typically the lower the volume becomes. Mm. And so I then basically explained to you know my boss at the time and gave him a lot of data, but was like, hey, if we want to acquire traffic and leads, to our website from people that will buy CRM software and will need it, we need to think about the other things that they're searching for when they're not looking for software. Naturally, we want to obviously rank for those software terms, and we do, but we want to rank for more than that. And so, you know, we did some research and some of the things that those people search for might be email templates or cold calling scripts or dealing with an angry customer or sales acceleration tactics or cold calling strategies. They're not software related terms, but they're indicative that if you're searching for that, you are wanting to improve your selling abilities and CRM and software can be a part of that improvement and optimization. So um, it wasn't super hard for me actually to sell that into G2 Crowd because you know, my CEO, who's my boss and I have a really good relationship. I feel like we see like eye to eye on almost everything, which is which is something I feel really lucky about. Mm. But, you know, I think me coming from HubSpot, I naturally just had credibility within the organization that like, hey, this dude knows what he's talking about. Like, let's give it a try. And it has been working and our traffic has been growing lately something like 25% week on week, like ridiculous growth lately. So that's been really amazing to see. And it took a while to get that up and running because as you know, and as anyone that does content knows, like content and inbound takes a while. Mm -hmm. And it'll take a lot longer if you create the wrong kind of content, which is what most people do. But yeah, we're finally getting there now. But, you know, I think... The best way to do it if you're getting started or your boss or your CEO doesn't believe in it is, you know, in your spare time or at night or on the weekends, create some content for the blog that you think will work like I did with the email signature generator and test it out and, and prove it, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: That's awesome. Well, what are you working on now at G2 Crowd?
2: Yeah, gosh, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd say like one of the biggest things I've been working on since I joined is, is building, you know, an amazing team because... When I joined, the team was really lean. The company hadn't really invested a whole lot in marketing because they just, I think, you know, are a very product-driven business and didn't really, I guess, yeah, understand how best to to leverage and build marketing out. And so they then just didn't really focus on that area. So, you know, over the last 10 months or so, I've grown the team from about, what, five-ish people to now around 30 or so people, which is pretty crazy growth, which has been pretty time-consuming. To find amazing people, but we've we've done it, which has been great. So building the team has been sort of like priority number one because I can't really do anything else without the team. And then it, then the the rest of it's really been a little bit more strategic. So you know I've got one kind of big priority and KPI that the board has for me, which is to drive more and more traffic to our website because more traffic to our website means more visitors and leads and and opportunities for our sellers that are selling software on the site. So Traffic was a big project for mine, which as I mentioned before, we've done a good job at, at growing. It um, would have been nice if we were able to grow it even faster than we did. But we've done a great job there, I think. And then yeah, building a demand gen funnel for our sales team was that second big kind of thing I focused on. So I built out a demand gen team, brought on board a VP of Demand Gen, whose name's Adam, who's fantastic. I mean his team are all amazing and they work really hand in hand with sales on field marketing events, CMO dinners, direct mail campaigns, you know, account-based marketing, all, fun, all of that stuff. And then, yeah, then there's product and customer marketing was a function within marketing that we built out recently. And you know, the, the leader of that her name's Lauren Decker. She and I both work together at Exact Target and Salesforce, and it's just one of the most incredible marketers I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And she's just doing an amazing job and building out all of our product and customer marketing. And yeah, the final big piece of what I've been focused on is, is sort of what I'm doing a bit more of now actually with my time is, is thinking about our brand and our messaging and you know, how we need to evolve that and to set us up, I guess, to be the Amazon for business in the next year or two, which is what we're on track to do.
1: Right. Well, there seems to be, I don't know if you've experienced this, but there seems to be this divide, especially I think if you go to Silicon Valley, between people that think whether brand building works or whether they should just put all their chips on performance marketing. I'm just curious, you know, you having worked at a bunch of tech companies, where do you fall in that debate? And you just mentioned, you know, focus on brand now.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that's like a a pendulum and a spectrum that i've definitely changed and moved on i think in the last few years i would say that traditionally and for the last few years anyways i always thought of myself as the demand gen marketer mm-hmm. that, like full funnel marketer that would focus on you know attracting converting closing the lighting as opposed to brand because i think i was you know, fortunate to see the way hubspot had grown and You know, I think no one would argue that HubSpot has a strong brand. It's like very clear that they have an incredibly strong brand. But more interestingly is that they never really actually focused on building their brand. They just focused on building a great product a great employee culture and great content that people were looking for. So that content within the demand gen funnel actually built HubSpot's brand, I think, more than anything else. And, you know, advertising and all those things were never really done for brand purposes. They were done more so sort to of drive demand. And so that was interesting. And I think I, I kind of always believed that that was the route I would take. And I think as I've like moved into this new role and over the past year, I think I've started to, to see with this, just with the massive growth in the space of software.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
2: Sometimes product differentiation, blog differentiation, content differentiation, sometimes that's not enough. You know, there's some interesting brands in the B2B space now that are really focused on building a brand that people love and will connect with. And they're taking pages out of our B2C counterparts as books around how to build a a consumer brand in the b2b space and so yeah i mean like i think if you had to tell me which one would i be if i had to just choose because you had a gun to my head like i would definitely choose the demand gen full funnel route because i think that's the more important one and if you do that right you will indefinitely build a brand mm-hmm. but i also at the same time think that you can build a brand earlier and and do good there i mean there's a lot of companies out there that have horrible products that have really strong brands but i think if it's easier to, to build a brand and you don't need to do as much if the product and everything else in your marketing stack it is strong hope that answers your question
1: yeah no it does it does One thing I want to circle back to, because you're building a a team, you said you, I think you went from five to 30 people, and you've added all these different functions. How do you think about building and developing your team?
2: Gosh, great question. I mean, that's something that I think more and more about. And it's kind of, it's been really interesting, because as the team has grown so quickly, it's looked and felt very different every other month almost. And it's been, and the experience, I think, also for the different individuals on the team has been different too because as new people come on board, we can hand over some things that people were helping out with but that wasn't their core responsibility. And that's a lot of fun, and I think folks love that kind of growth and it opens up opportunity for them. But at the same time, it can also be, it can be tiring, right? Constant change. And so... We're at a point now, I think, where the structure of the team seems to be working. People are doing the right things. We've hired really just fantastic people. And when it comes to team development, I think the most important thing is just hiring, actually. Coaching is super important and giving feedback is super important and always learning is super important. But if you hire just fantastic people and get out of their way, that's typically, in my experience, the best way to do it. And so. I spend a lot of time hiring because I don't want to make a mistake there. But then I think I also just have a bit of a philosophy with my team, and it's, it seems to be something that they're fans of and on board with. But just that we really just have like ultimate transparency between everyone, and there's really no question that like can't be asked. And you know, we give and receive a lot of feedback amongst each other and with other parts of the business, and so. I just got feedback, actually, funnily enough. You know, one of my direct reports who said, like, hey, I really appreciated the feedback you gave me the other day. He, just for context, he asked me for some feedback on his first kind of, I think, 120 days. And he gave me his thoughts and then I responded. And naturally, like, I gave really candid feedback and really constructive feedback. But he kind of seemed to be really thankful that it was so specific because I think most leaders don't spend enough time noticing and, and giving feedback on the smaller things. And it's the smaller things that are the things that actually you can change and act on immediately. It's the bigger things typically that are a lot harder and a lot more abstract. So, you know, an example of what one of those smaller things might be is like when I gave him feedback, I said to him, you know, when you speak publicly to the team and at meetings, you need to stand up and not sit down at your desk. And, you know, you should be projecting your voice a little bit more so that people can hear you. And. You need to modulate your voice even a little bit more, right? So that people can kind of feel your enthusiasm and get on board with like the roller coaster and the experience that you're trying to convey to them. And, you know, I gave him more other specific feedback as well about, you know, building his own brand and thought leadership and what he could do on social media and some other things, which to me, like I thought was just really basic feedback. Like I didn't expect it to be revolutionary and, and it isn't. But I think it's just a fact that like, you know, giving really specific tidbits of information sometimes on someone and how they spoke in a meeting or how they wrote an email is sometimes more helpful, I think, than than broader generalized feedback.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And the specificity also, it probably translates into them feeling that you're really paying attention, yeah, which you are.
2: And I'm a bit of a freak. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a bit of an OCD perfectionistic. Like, I feel like I could definitely be on the spectrum for some kind of like poor <laughs> or Ticum or Asperger's. I don't know, but <laughs> I have a few like, you know, quirks as we all do that I'm not ashamed of and I'm proud of. But I just notice all those weird little things. And, you know, sometimes I wish I could notice them for myself, right? But it's it's always really easy to to notice things in others and give feedback. And I actually think actually that's one of the things that I do always try and say to my team when I am giving them Feedback is if I'm giving you feedback and I do one of these things too, like, A, please tell me because I probably don't realize it. And B, like, don't take this as me being hypocritical because, you know, just as I'm giving you feedback, my boss is giving me feedback too. So I wouldn't be doing a, a, a justice to my team if I didn't coach them on stuff that I might be working on myself. But a lot of the time, insecure employees that don't like constructive feedback or can't take it will push back and say, like, why are you saying that when you do this yourself? And I always find that to be like the worst response ever from an employee, but I can understand why that comes, right? Because people get defensive and most people like aren't really good at receiving feedback, even though they say they want it. You know, I try and kind of like understand why folks are pushing back, but also try and help them, you know, be more present and understand why they're doing it.
1: Interesting. Well, you've got so many ideas and Sparks, I guess, of genius. You know, whether it's
2: content. (laughs) Thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely on the uh, on the content front, and the examples you've given. Where do you look for inspiration, or where do you look for ideas yourself?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, and something that I don't know. I get asked that a lot, actually. And there's really no there's there's no place I would say necessarily that I proactively go to because I think that. Most blogs today are a garbage, unfortunately. <laughs> Most like podcasts, you know, like if they're not great, like and the person on the line isn't being transparent. Like I think you and I, for example, right now are having a really open and transparent conversation, right? I'm not sugarcoating anything mm-hmm. that I'm saying. I'm like just real, but I don't find that's the case with a lot of podcasts or with a lot of interviews. So I don't know, when my team comes to me and asks me like where I've learned what I've learned, I, the first thing I kind of tell them is, you know, I'm a massive consumer, so I just consume content in the sense of like I'm on social media often. I'm, you know, reading things that interest me, not about the topics that I want to learn about necessarily, like marketing and stuff. But I'll just be reading content, and I'll be on LinkedIn, and I just notice like different formats and what has happening with regard to trends. And I think I. Do a good job at kind of like optimizing backwards from what I'm seeing or re engineering it. And so I just kind of live and breathe marketing. And so as I live life as a consumer, you know, I'm perpetually screenshotting things on my phone and sending them to my team or to myself as a reminder or to my wife. And I think being like really present when you're consuming and realizing like if you look at an ad and you read the ad copy, like I'll take a screenshot of that because um, I'll think to myself like, wow, there was obviously something about this ad that caught my attention because I don't read many ads. So like the next time I'm creating an ad, like let's maybe incorporate some of the elements of this ad, whether it's structure or color or copy or layout, because it worked for me. And not to say you shouldn't then be obviously optimizing based on data once it's up and running. But I think too often marketers, and I said this to my team this morning in our, our monthly meeting, but too often we try and recreate the wheel every single time. And actually the smartest thing to do isn't to try and, and regardless of how smart you are, isn't to try and create the best thing out there. It's actually to go out there and work out what is the best thing and why did it work and let's copy those elements of it. That's like a much easier way to, to be successful than to try and think brand new every single time. So, you know, I'd say that's the first thing is that just as I consume and I'm a massive consumer, I spend way too much money on, on products and services and not enough on <laughs> Zen. But, you know, I'm always kind of noticing and, and noting down things that, that capture my attention. And then I, yeah, I think like kind of the the second piece that I kind of talk to people about is like the best way to learn is just to do and to fail and to learn from that. But I would say like, don't learn and fail based on just trying something completely random without doing research into working out what is the best version of that thing. And then leveraging the elements of those things that were successful and building upon it. Like, you know, as an example I use, like there's no, it's not a coincidence that like most of the viral videos that go viral on Facebook and Twitter are from one ad agency called the Hartman Brothers based down in, I think it's Utah, who did like Purple Mattresses, very awesome video that went viral and got millions of views. And they did like the Febreze ad and they did a ton of those things. Like They work because there's a format and a structure and they've worked that out. And so that's what's amazing about marketing today is when you see something succeeding, you can analyze it and you can work that out yourself and you can write down the script of the video and you can work out how they paragraphed and sectioned out the video and how they work timing and what the first shot was and use that to then indicate what you should do as opposed to just starting from scratch.
1: That's interesting.
2: I'm, I'm, actually, yeah, I'm a bit of a weirdo like that, to be honest. I'm like, <laughs> I'm actually, if I watch an ad or a video on social that I like, you know, I'll save the link to it and then I'll download it or I'll basically watch through it and pause it and start it. And I'll write down the entire script of the video as well as kind of on stage cues of like what was happening. <laughs> because to me, that's just like a really, I'm fascinated in how something is written or structured because I can then learn from that. And I oddly do that with speeches sometimes as well. If I hear an amazing speech, I'll break it down and worked out why I felt the way I felt based on how it was structured. And what the narrative arc was and I have zero training in any of that like I'm a horrible writer but I'm pretty good at working out why something works
1: (laughs) I love that I love those examples well one of the things I like to do on this podcast is try to get to know the person a little bit better that I'm talking to and I love asking this question which is you know is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today
2: wow that's a great question I was funnily, someone asked me a really similar question to that just last week. I was at this conference in LA called Summit, which mm. is a fascinating conference. Um, it was my first time, and everyone I met there was just super interesting. I think the website summit.co, If anyone's interested in learning more. But um, when I sat down at dinner one night, you know, the first thing the person next to me asked was, "What was the most formative experience of your life?" <laughs> <laughs> kind of similar to yours. I don't know if there's one defining moment, but. I think that, you know, growing up, so I grew up as an only child and I'm still an only child today. And so I'm kind of a bit of an odd, like, extroverted introvert, I think. And so, you know, I really like my own time. I really like reading and I really like understanding how things work. But I was also kind of like not popular at school, in primary school, anyways, and didn't really have many friends and was kind of bullied. And I don't know. I, I think that there's parts of me today that that, definitely has shaped and still are the way they are today like I oftentimes in big groups of people feel a little bit uncomfortable even though people around me wouldn't realize but I I feel really kind of awkward the one thing I'm really grateful for from like those lovely bullies that fucked up my childhood was um (laughs) they kind of really gave me like serious motivation to succeed in life which for better or worse, because obviously like we shouldn't, you know, drive our value from our accomplishments, but we should just be good people and be happy with that. But um, that kind of really created a fire in me to be successful. And I think I wanted to, prove to all of those kind of kids that I could be. And so that I think was a formative time in my life anyways. And, you know, I think I'm pretty motivated, pretty driven person. So I, I put that down to those experiences.
1: Oh, well, thank you for sharing. I mean, the, the bullies and the chips on your shoulders. I have my own chips. <laughs> they motivate you. They're motivating force for sure. What fuels you? What keeps you going?
2: You know what? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I really love what I do, Alan. Like I, I, to my core, love this shit. Like that doesn't mean it doesn't stress me out and make me want to pull out my hair sometimes and exhaust me at different times, but it's so worth it. Like, I just love it. I don't know. I love creating. And so, I mean, that's just, I think, innately part of who I am and kind of always has been. And I'm pretty creative, but also like a little analytical and so that's part of it. But I, I think to be honest, like kind of being that like kid that like was the odd one out, I think that's a big part of what gives me energy sometimes because yeah, I just, I don't know. I just have such a, a strong drive It for when it comes to work and certain things. I mean, I'm pretty lazy when it comes to going to the gym. <laughs> I'm just lucky that I have a big metabolism. So that, that drive doesn't work for everything for me, unfortunately, but yeah.
1: Gotcha. Well, you know, marketers, and I think you are probably take this to a whole different level, are kind of students of the business (laughs) with your breaking things down. But are there brands or companies or even causes that you're following now or or taking notice of that you think others should?
0: Oh,
2: good question. That's, I kind of always, that's sort of a a similar question to something that I always ask people in interviews, because I feel like if there isn't, There aren't brands or or people that you look up to and just admire, then you can you must be horrible at what you do (laughs) because like you don't you're not able to identify like brilliance when you see it. So now I'm hopefully I can say something and give you some examples that I'm great. (laughs) I mean, gosh, for me when someone asks me that question, it's really hard for me because there's so freaking many. You know, there's one brand that I'm a bit obsessed with at the moment called Whoop. That most people here probably wouldn't have heard about. It's this new fitness tracker and. They just have gorgeous UX and UI and their brand is super distinct, very minimal. And I just like whenever I use their app I enjoy I enjoy it. And their brand is just crazy distinct, as is their logo and their mark.
1: What was the name of it again?
2: Called Whoop. W-H-O-O-P. So I think it's Whoop.com. It's kind of like a fitness tracker. Like the fitness tracker of all fitness trackers. So LeBron wears one and mm. and so it's kind of like ironic that I wear one given how little hardcore <laughs> exercise I do. But I like to think that I, I, I'm an athlete, kind of <laughs> But I'm so oh. Asana, I mean, I love Asana, the product like to use. It's how my, my whole team, all of G2 Crowd runs on Asana for project management and task management and comms. So I not only love their product and their mobile app, but their brand is just gorgeous. They did a rebrand a couple of years ago, which was utterly stunning. And I just love what they did. So maybe like that's like, there's a B2C brand there's a B2B brand. I mean, I love everything yep. that Airbnb is doing with their brand and their Bailo, that new kind of logo that they went with for VA and for, to like indicate belonging. You know, I wouldn't put us in this cat camp right now, but we're working on it. But, um, you know, some at that event that I was just at has incredibly minimalistic branding, very monochromatic, you know, they're they're a cool brand. Yeah, I mean, I feel like where I see a lot of innovation in brands and companies is actually more on B2C than B2B, especially when it relates to apps, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's such an important experience to create. And so one app that I think does a beautiful job and has created the most gorgeous app is a company called Inscape, I-N-S-C-A-P-E. And it's it's a meditation app, kind of like Headspace, but um, it's so much more beautiful to use. And I think the meditations are a lot more enjoyable and calming, but their app and the visuals and the UX of it is, is pretty damn cool. So um, they're just, a, I guess, a few of the companies and brands that I had noticed. And I mean, actually, the one more is Equinox. Equinox Gym, which is where I go to gym when I sometimes go. did this campaign a couple of years ago and it was just... Stunning, so like their I think their tagline, let's see if I can remember it. it was something kind of like I think it talked about like conquering or being your best or um always having a passion or purpose, and they just did these really evocative ad campaigns where and they they pulled in a really famous art director if i recall, and so and the whole kind of premise of it, actually no, their tagline, sorry, was commit to something I just remembered, mm. and so you know one of the ad campaigns had uh, this you know a mother. So she was, she's at a dinner table having like what looks like a business dinner. And she's got two babies, like one baby on either breast, like having milk from her. And so it's kind of like, you know, she's committing to business. She's committing to being a mother, like she's a boss. And I thought like, so that was super evocative. Then there was like another version in the same campaign where it was this woman who was getting a tattoo over her chest. And it looked like she had had one of her breasts removed due to cancer is what I would assume. And again, just like such like vivid and full on and kind of emotion filled visuals, but that also kind of like so well resonated with that tagline of commit to something. Mm. And then there was also fluffier ones where they had half naked people that were very good looking, <laughs> <doing other laughs> things. but in general, yeah, they were just amazing, like amazing ad campaigns. Whoever did that for them just hit the nail on the head for their target audience so there's so i could literally like talk to you for an hour (laughs) on
1: no i love it i love it i love those examples too (laughs) they're awesome well i have one last question for you and it's what do you see the future of marketing doing
2: Future of marketing, gosh, I don't know, mate. I I wish I knew what the future (laughs) of marketing was. I mean, look, I think that one undeniable truth with the future of marketing is that it's becoming more and more reliant on technology. And that's one thing that I think I'm really fortunate about and I think has helped me become better at the craft is because I have always worked for marketing technology companies, I've kind of gotten access to technology before other marketers, which has meant that I've been able to learn and test and try it and quicker and, and with more kind of experience than others. Because you know you can't do email marketing if there's no such thing as email marketing software, right? And you can't send push notifications to someone's phone if that doesn't exist. So as a tech marketer, I think that is a cutting edge upside of the future. I think the other thing that, that I would say is that like while there is all of these new technologies that you need to be up on that help you connect with customers and prospects in different channels is at the end of the day though that still doesn't replace content because regardless of the channel and the technology content is still kind of like the message within the medium and i think that's over the last maybe 10 years gotten a little bit forgotten with so many people like myself swinging so heavily into demand gen marketing and so you know i'd say that like if you could nail the delivery mechanism and the distribution mechanisms as well as like how to create compelling content with the right message that motivates someone to the right thing. Like I think that's key. And I think there's a really long way to go for most businesses on both of those fronts, but especially on the content and messaging front, because I don't think many companies do that incredibly well still.
1: Well, Ryan, thank you for coming on the show. It's been fantastic.
2: Hey, Alan, I've really enjoyed this. Thanks so much. And thanks for the
1: thoughtful and fun questions. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me, with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.
2: Acast, and Befaler.
0: Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmannen. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi er skidetræt alle de der podcasts, og forklarer meget nedere der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi af.
2: Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjovt og med at have den her vidunderlige